Welcome to the We Bear Witness podcast, where we discuss church life, theological questions, and cultural influences. Our podcasts are available via Google, Spotify, Apple, and many other podcast platforms. We hope you subscribe and enjoy the show. Well, welcome. This is our very first podcast episode, and a lot of you are probably like, what the world? I've been listening for like two years to the podcast here, but we are in a rebranding phase. So last episode, we said, stay tuned for some new updates. And I'm going to let Adam introduce the new podcast here, uh, podcast form, new name, and why we kind of decided to go this direction. Yeah, the new podcast is We Bear Witness. It's the same old podcast, same people, but we wanted to sort of bring it under a new name for a couple reasons, and we hope you like it. We hope you like the cool bear with sunglasses on. We feel like that's really cool. Uh, we feel like Christians are really good at deciding what's cool and what's not cool. Right. So, and I'm kind of partial to it because my wife designed it. So It's Christian know. movie cool, uh, <laughs> that bear with the sunglasses. Yes, and Emily Whitaker did such a fantastic job designing it. You can see it on tanks uh, during the summer. <laughs> pink, you can see it on teal and pink tank tops uh, in the this, summer here. This podcast is, not, is not off to a good start no, so it's far. wonderful. I love the new season, <laughs> new guts. Yeah. Um, no, it's uh, really exciting just because I love the name. And not only was the reason that we really liked the name, and but our previous Amelia Baptist Roundtable is what everyone has sort of become familiar with. That had a specific function, a specific purpose, because it was directed only to the people at Amelia Baptist. And it was done during the time of COVID where people weren't attending things as much, the Bible right. studies. And now we're back to sort of full swing and we're seeing all these faces again, our church is growing uh, spiritually and numerically, which is really cool to see. But more importantly, we have a function or a method in which people can listen to discipleship throughout the week. And that's what we really love about the podcast. And it's not just for Amelia Baptist, it's for everybody. And we think the name has a lot of meaning. We bear witness is something the church is called to do. It's a statement. Not only is it part of a, a wonderful worship song and pass the promise by the Gettys that we sing here at ABC, but also that is what we've been called to do as part of the Great Commission coming up on 2000 years here, the Great Commission. And we have a responsibility to be a light in a darkness. We have a responsibility to be the salt of the earth. We do bear witness no matter what we like to believe or what we choose to believe. What you do matters and how you live matters. Yeah, and I like the image of a bear there um, being bold, being out there, uh, you know, taking uh, the challenges of life, our culture kind of uh, head on instead of uh, being complacent. And so to me, I think the the name and then the image kind of meshes into what we're hoping that this podcast is for people and will become for those who have yet to find it. So. Yeah. And I like the sunglasses because we are in the sunshine state. Exactly. You got to pull the Florida, a little bit of Florida history in <laughs> it there. It just makes sense. And sunglasses are cool and you own not even history, a... but like <laughs> yeah, just, just, just the iconic just geography. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised I, you don't <laughs> preach with sunglasses on. I, mean, I have gone up yeah. on the stage with sunglasses. Yeah. I know. my head before, but that is, I've tried not to do that. But anyway, we have some other topics to discuss today. Uh, hopefully you are driving or mowing the lawn and we're in your ears right now for the next half hour. But yeah, some important, relevant topics. Yeah. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, we Bear Witness Podcast. They're on all those platforms. So find it, follow it. Um, and that's a great way to connect with us. We want to also be engaged with our listener base uh, throughout the week there. And so, yeah. All that's right. important. Let's dive right in here, Pastor Adam. Um, right as we are recording this, 
the SBC is uh, starting to wrap up their convention there. Passionate Ole Miss Pam has yeah. been there representing Amelia Baptist uh, to the convention. Um, the SBC ha- has been in the news a lot lately for a lot of different reasons. And I think we want to just give a recap. Uh, you were able to watch it yesterday. Kind of give a recap of what has is going on, what you observed um, from there, and I'm sure we'll be bringing in some different aspects down the road, but just kind of a recap of what you uh, saw yesterday in watching the SBC. Right. So there's good and there's good and bad, you know, especially at these conventions and these annual meetings that we have. And, you know, I never want to disparage the effort of so many that go into a convention like that. And it's there's a lot of I hate to use this word because it's being completely taken advantage of, but nuance and something like this. And so I don't think you can walk away responsibly and just say, oh, it was all terrible. And uh, or, you know, it was all good. Definitely can't say that. And so I think we, we don't need to be we need to be realists. We don't need to put something out there just because we want it to be true. But the Southern Baptist Convention meets annually, you know, and we're, we're weeks past the guidepost report that many mm-hmm. of you might be aware of where. There were sexual abuse uh, allegations and charges and even uh, several, you know, involving um, pastors and people that were associated with the Southern Baptist Church over the last 20 years. And the victims have gone to the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee over the last 20 years for help. And so many of these cases were sort of uh, whitewashed or hidden. Swept under the rug, rug And sort of uh, for this in the sake of PR, in the name of PR. And uh, public relation, you know, sort of keeping a good image. And that's not right. And it's not what we stand for. And it makes a lot of people, everyone I've heard that I respect, irate, no matter what side of the, the aisle you're on on other issues, no one wants to see this. This is despicable behavior. W- with that said, you know, there was a sexual abuse task force that was formed and they had resolutions passed. I don't, I didn't really have any issue with the resolutions. My issue has to do way more with some of the nomenclature involving church autonomy. Here's, here's the interesting thing. Southern Baptist Convention is both autonomous, made up of autonomous churches, which means we don't have anything that's dominion over us. We're congregational, yet we're cooperative. And right now it just seems to be a strong disadvantage in cooperation in a right. lot of ways. Right. If something happens, there's 700 churches involved over the last 20 years, which includes close to 50,000 churches. You know, And so we look at that and we go, has a lot of churches where this isn't happening, uh, the majority, vast majority. And so how are, how are we to respond to these things? We are a part of association, but we're not accountable to each other in every sense. You know, there's a cooperation, right. but goodness, these are separate congregational autonomous churches. So we just have to kind of walk some of this through. But that, that took a big portion of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention's time and kind of walking through those uh, recommendations, and it passed overwhelmingly so. I mean, every hand in the place was up just about. And there was definite concerns, some justifiable concerns based on, like, the, the verbiage of the bill um, or the bill of the resolution, but uh, it passed overwhelmingly, as I knew it was. I, I don't understand how anyone was shocked that it passed at right, all. Right. It was absolutely going to pass because people wanted to be over it. They want to be done with it, you know, and you can say that's kind of harsh. Well, no, not really. They want it in the past. So they can keep going. They're ashamed of it. I get that. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of work to do over the next year to fulfill the application of resolutions yeah, like that. So exactly. that, that was a huge part of it. There were votes uh, for president. Uh, Bart Barber beat out Tom Askell uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention president. 
Uh, over the next year, it was like 60% to 38%. Uh, Frank Cox came in a little later, sort of shake things up for a runoff. So there was that. It was a huge part of it. And that's where a lot of the Twitter publicity goes, the Facebook talks. You know, all, everything on social networks kind of aimed at the presidency because it has right. a lot of power in executing a lot of the things that were decided. Yeah, know, I was very proud of you yesterday in your restraint of staying off of Facebook all day long. Yeah, I stayed off of Facebook, but yeah. I probably tweeted like 87 things. So I, hold, I gave you your, an out there. Your pride. <laughs> uh, but I'd, I'd say the best part, and uh, unanimously, is the IMB under Paul Chitwood. Um, I mean, I, there are tons of things that I like about it. I like seeing Florida represented. I'm a big Tommy Green fan, who's our who's our pre, you know treasurer of the state convention, and I love him. And um, but the IMB International Mission Board commissioned 52 missionaries, and they each represent the heart of our SBC churches. Uh, it's God's mission there. Um, there was a special instance where two Hispanic families were among the 52 commissioned, and you have this specific thing, um, sort of of lifeblood in that community of pride that we're moving people into their heart languages all throughout the country, and that heart languages aren't being ignored. And we're seeing a bit of that through Sin Network. and So it's just an incredible thing that sort of bridges uh, the, the you know all races uh, for the same gospel and what we hope we're seeing and this is where we're going to kind of dive into our other topic is that I don't think that the real drift and it's, you may disagree and that's perfectly fine I don't think the real drift necessarily is between outspoken conservative or outspoken liberal it's going to be hard to find anybody in SBC who's like I'm a liberal you know we may notice some of the things they're doing I think what we really see is a drift towards pragmatism. And then before we dive into sort of what pragmatism is and what that looks like inside the church and how we could even see it represented, uh, represented in our convention, one really audacious, insane thing occurred uh, that had to do with our credentials committee. And it was uh, the argument of the definition of pastor. Uh, there was a there was a necessity of reconvening instead of just on the spot answering a question and some avoidance for sure. If you look back at the tape, uh, there was this issue all of a sudden uh, about what a pastor means biblically and how it's defined biblically. biblically. And while they were struggling on the stage to say what a pastor is because they didn't want to offend anybody, which I thought was a huge red flag, the, the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention, which gives me tons of hope, was adamantly opposed to any question having to do with what a pastor is. Like there is overwhelming support in the Southern Baptist Convention that says pastors are male. That has been chosen by God for pastors and elders of the church to be male. That is an office reserved for men. And that is a controversial statement. One that that people think puts us in the Bronze Age. Uh, But there is truth to the matter because it's Scripture, and Scripture is forever, and Scripture is permanent. And we're not here to be editors of the message. We're here to be messengers of the message. And so I was glad to see that. But the whole reason that was even up for debate or up for conversation is because of a request to disfellowship Saddleback Church, uh, pastored by Rick Warren up until recently. He's about to hand over the reins. And Rick Warren was even there to take seven minutes on the floor. And so he spoke, and you can find that footage online anywhere. Um, From what I heard in the seven minutes, nothing was pertinent to why he was there, what the disfellowship was about, what the request for disfellowship was about. It really was just Rick Warren sort of saying some niceties and uh, being a generous man, which I have no doubt that he is, but not really arguing or even using scripture to defend why he personally has ordained three female pastors in his church. Now, he's associated with Southern Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Church. And so as a Southern Baptist Church, it's very much um, in adherence to our confessions to agree 
what a pastor is and he doesn't. So he should be disfellowship. So we're not in our, this isn't about canceling people. This right. is about the convention and saying, look, we have, uh, we have laws, we have rules, we have belief system. That's what makes us a convention is a belief system. Let's adhere to it if we're going to be a part of it. And so all of that conversation came up and that's when you started to see the pragmatism. That's right. when you started seeing the obsession with celebrity culture within the Southern Baptist convention. So I think the real drift is not between politically conservative or politically liberal. I think the real drift is pragmatism versus the sufficiency of scripture mm-hmm. in your church. Yeah. And so as we move kind of into talking about pragmatism and uh, its effect on our culture and our churches today, um, I think it'd be good for us to start out by kind of defining uh what pragmatism really means yeah. Um, so that we kind of, we start on a, a, the level playing field and then can build from there into how it's affecting us today. Yeah. So pragmatism is the doctrine that practical consequences are the criteria of knowledge and meaning and value. So what that really means is that truth is determined by consequences and, and you see this played out uh, in church life. Um, one of the most popular statements of pragmatism is when you look at a ministry or idea or a program and you're noticing some faults and you're noticing that there's a good reason or two or three why it should no longer exist within your church or it's getting off biblical grounds, then you see this application under the guise of kindness that says, by all means necessary, or if it, if it saves one person, it's worth doing it. And so you're judging something in ministry based on its consequence rather than objective truth. Instead of holding fast to what's in the word, both in the descriptive and prescriptive texts, both in normative and regulative principles, you are determining what your church is doing based on if it works or not. But if it works or not, and it is, is first of all, relative, because right. if it works is relative. Yeah. What and, does works mean? Right, exactly. And I mean, we're seeing in our culture today that a lot of things that don't work any longer are actually biblical. So just because it's not working doesn't mean it's, you know, not right. Or just because it is working doesn't mean it's in the Bible and what God is calling us to do. Yeah. Also, we aren't the standard or the criteria right, givers. Exactly. Like, so when it says it's not working, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, is, is what God, are you basing that off of? Exactly. Is God either sovereign over this or not? And, and I think we need to be very careful because some people are like, oh, yeah, so we're just let's look at let's take our church and look exactly like we do in the book of Acts. You know, let's all wear robes, too, and sandals. And so. They're not I mean, looking. I think you'd look pretty good preaching in a robe and sandals. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. No, but uh, I do that every evening in December outside. Um, but the whole concept here is, no, we're not talking about no ministry works or that your church can't have preferences or that, you know, you get rid of every tradition. Or you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that because you can get really fast into interpretive differences, too, on the tertiary issues. What I'm suggesting is that we see what the Bible calls of the churches and we don't move where we're not supposed to move. And we are seeing churches who are tempted to be like the world in order to reach the world, which is a serious effect of pragmatism, which you will find is rooted in the philosophy of men like uh, John Stuart Mill, who had a great formative influence in philosophers like John Dewey, who applied pragmatism to education and, and William James, who applied it to religion. Tim Challies has a great article on the definition of pragmatism as he walks us through the history of it. He uses a quote uh, by James Boyce that says the goal of pragmatism is to find the fastest, least expensive way of producing products and getting things done. And that is not the call of the church. That, that sort of goes completely against the long suffering that the church is called to do. 
um, by any means necessary is not a biblical command in any way, shape, or form. There's integrity, there's honor, there's there's with scriptural integrity, holding fast to the dot. What is sola scriptura? If not understanding that it is only in scripture that we find our call and our commission and our methodology. And so a lot of people don't know the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is your belief system, your doctrine, right. what you believe, and we fight for that. Well, you can be aligned, and we saw this in the SBC. We saw this in the convention. You can be aligned in orthodoxy. Somebody would preach during the pastor's conference a couple of days, and they'd be like, see, there's nothing heretical about that. This is fine. And then you'd see that stuff played out in their churches or how it's supposed to be played out, and it wouldn't be played out. It's the orthopraxy undermines the orthodoxy. It, it, it doesn't deliver. It actually even shields it because you are primor, primarily placing method or methodology over doctrine. Right. You know, and so over the, the word of God, yeah. over the word of God in these practices. And some people are like, well, give me some examples of that. Well, uh, he gives an example of speaking of uh, Rick Warren uh, pragmatism. He, this is what Tim Chowley says in his article using Rick Warren pragmatism. And I look, this isn't a bashing Rick Warren episode. This is me just using it as an example because he's on hot water right now for some leadership decisions he made that are against the Bible. And the Southern Baptist convention is the one bringing him up to disfellowship him. And Tim Chowley's mentions him in this article that was written well before the Southern Baptist convention. So obviously Chowley's was ahead of this. But he says this, pragmatism has reared its ugly head throughout the Christian world. It is found in statements about evangelistic techniques, such as, if it only reaches one person, it is worth it. By the way, a little commentary, when we say that, that can be applied to something biblical right. and be okay to say, in terms of what you're sacrificing is your time. So like, for instance, if you're saying, if it only reaches one person, it is worth it that can be good to say to remind yourself that crowds and size aren't indicators of success. But if you're saying it to where that's the reason why you are playing Prince medleys on a Sunday morning, for instance, just to shoot like out of the dark, completely something that didn't happen or you right. know, before Perry Noble got fired, it was, you know, he played uh, to hell with the devil. No, that was striper. What do you play? He played um, a running with the devil. <laughs> Or the rock song running with the devil on Easter Sunday and then made that argument in the elephant room footage <laughs> with James McDonald and Mark Driscoll, who both are, would later be discredited for their anger issues and disqualified. So it, there's there's a running theme here that if you get off the word, you get off the pulpit. Right. And I feel like that's the justice of God. But we'll get into that in a second. It is found in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church. This is what Tim Challey says, a textbook for church growth, which some would argue could you even have a textbook for church growth you, in the responsible way? Like, so there's some tough stuff there where he writes, never criticize any method that God is blessing. Okay. Well, right there in that sentence, he's saying that if God is blessing it, then it's valuable. And in terms of blessing it, he's saying worldly successes. So if the ministry is growing, keep doing it. Well, that's that's allowing the people to be the indicator as to whether something is holy instead of the word of God. Right. And we talked a lot about this, you and I and, um, you know, staff here, uh, that the fact that a church is huge doesn't make it healthy. Uh, the fact that it's small doesn't make it healthy. No, it's not. You know, Both either important. either ends. We're not saying like, you know, it's bad to have a big church. You need to only have small churches or, no, you know, as a small church is, you know, not healthy. And so you need numbers. Yeah. We're saying look past numbers. You know, the numbers are not the, the meter of the health of your church yeah. there. Right. Yeah. And you get to a point where 
you know, people have people or the pastors have people leaving their church and they're like, see, this is because of holiness. And I'm, I'm sitting there sometimes going, no, it's probably because you're a jerk. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing to do with what are we yeah, talking about? It might need about? to be a gut check here. Yeah, it's like, a, like people don't want to listen to you because you're mean. Like, that's not that's not because they, they want pragmatism. That's just because they don't feel like you're qualified and you might be right or they might be right. But, but Chowies goes on to say, uh, the Purpose Driven Church says, we must be willing to adjust our worship practices when unbelievers are present. God tells us to be sensitive to the hangups of unbelievers in our services. Okay, well, where does God say that? Um, in anything having to address the church, there is a free-for-all evangelistic mission statement where the church is out saving people with the power of the gospel and the preaching of the word. And somehow, you know, this is being interpreted as being sensitive to them as giving them what they want inside the life of the church. Well, if you do that, you're just bringing more and more of the world into the church. And people aren't realizing that there is a separation between the church and the world. There, We are all equal at the foot of the cross. But it is the power of the gospel that changes us, that makes us a part of the church, not pragmatic ideas that are not biblical. Right. So I guess this kind of is a good transition into talking about um, what does a, a healthy church look like um, from a, you know, a non, uh, n- not showing pragmatism uh, from, um, you know, health from in growth, uh, because, you know, uh, growth and um, growing closer to the Lord, growing towards the goal that God said of us being Christ-like is a healthy thing. It does show the health of a church. Uh, so I think that begs the question, you know, kind of what do, what's a biblical healthy church look like um, and, and how can we apply it to our churches today? Yeah, I want to spend more time in our next episode talking about exactly what that looks like, biblical healthy church growth, responsible church growth. And you'll see more and more as we open the can, what we mean by a big church can be disobedient and so can a small church. A big church can be obedient and so can a small church. You'll, you'll see that. And that's the goal. I'll leave you with one thing sort of to to lead us into the next episode, but we are always starting how a church should move, grow and become alive for the gospel of Jesus Christ with the staff or leadership. And I think that has to change. The church is congregational. So it's not built or sustained by a leadership. Now, I'm not saying leadership doesn't matter. That would be ridiculous. But it's the integrity of leadership that matters, the character, the dedication, the desire that it's in line with the word of God. The people of the church are doing the evangelism. The people of the church are allowing the shepherds to shepherd and pastor the flock. You know what right. I'm saying? Like yep. this is about the collective spiritual growth of the body of believers that moves mountains here. Not just one guy with good ideas who would make a great CEO. And that's the level of pragmatism that you, you even see. Like no one would have cut Rick Warren off the mic. They cut all, a lot of people off the mic. If what they were saying became, you know, without pertinence or without point, they cut them out. You know, it was like two, three, maybe five minutes, and they were gone. He went for seven minutes, not addressing the reason he took the mic. And I'm just saying that, I mean, everyone's capable of error. Again, I'm not hating on Rick Warren. He seems like a very loving, I know people I love who love them. So that's not, a, that's not an issue. The point I'm making is we are not unsusceptible to right. celebrity culture. And he has th- a massive church. He's Oprah's buddy. He's prayed at the Obama inauguration. You know what I'm saying? Like we get starstruck at human men and human women. 
and we wonder why the moral failure is absolutely rampant within our conventions yeah, because you're I, idolizing people that should right, be idolized. Right, right. And I think that's a, a key point in the fact of no one person, I don't believe, is qualified to fully lead a church by themselves. And, you know, I we've talked about this over and over, the need for accountability. Um, you know, that's why we have Council of Elders here. That's why you have a group of uh, that you you have to be accountable to as church leadership as the pastor because you can't do it by yourself right um and if you try good chance you're gonna run into some of these issues of pragmatism right and we we are we have programs at our church we have sunday school we're we doing vacation bible experience uh this week we we have uh you know mission trips and mission collaborations and we do things that involve volunteers we understand that there's there's things about our church that are typical of any church, but what we like is our family equipping ministry philosophy. You'll see that coined in Timothy Paul Jones' Family Ministry Field Guide where we are pushing the parents and challenging the parents to be the Deuteronomy 6 primary spiritual disciples of their home. And in doing that, what we will say is there's not one to avoid pragmatism, to fight pragmatism, a method based on its consequences. We tell people in anything, anything that the church is doing, you are allowed to be with your children. There's no age segregation. You are completely allowed to be with your kids. Your kids can go wherever you want to go. They are your kids. We are here simply to equip. And so that kind of helps us remain loyal to the real goal of biblical churches. If we start to rely on something else to save or build our churches, then we aren't relying on God. And that is what I would love to see more through Southern Baptist Convention leadership. Are we relying on our politics? Are we relying on, and I don't mean just American politics, but like church politics. Are we relying on um, our images, you know, like uh, our, our vain, our vanity. You know what I'm saying? So there's all these things that are sort of taking precedence over just unadulterated biblical scripture, right? And letting that be the thing that guides us, the book. Um, and I want to say that we'll end with this. I love our local association here in Nassau County, Northeast Florida. I love our association. Yeah, we've love been our leaders. Blessed. blessed. Incredibly blessed. And you can be in Nassau County, Florida, and you know the pastors get along. Uh, we root for each other. I love our association. I love our state. Uh, really good friends who are part of our state convention. I love Craig Colbreth. I love Tommy Green. At the end of the day, we know God is sovereign. Big you know, congratulations to Bart Barber, who is now the SBC president. I have nothing against uh, Bart Barber. I hope that he will do and say and be what is necessary to show true, real conviction when we need true, real conviction to stick to the word and not to play these pragmatic games because we're worried about not making baptism numbers or salvation numbers or growing in size. There just may be a realization that our attendances are going through a season where they will see decrease because the world is more and more vile and proud of that vileness each and every day. And, and so we have to be clear about yeah, that. Yeah, and that's going to have to start at the local uh, church level in the community. Uh, that's not something that you can force from a top uh, leadership standpoint. They they can guide it. They can encourage it. Right. They can set the direction and the tone of yeah. it. But ultimately, it comes down to the local congregations, and the local leadership, the pastors um, on the local level, yeah. uh, teaching biblically, uh, encouraging uh, Christ-like uh, behavior and and um, discipleship in their churches. Yep, and and Pastor Neil 
is coming back, and we'll discuss more, maybe even have him on and kind of talk about the future there. But over time, the elders of Amelia Baptist Church are taking it very seriously. We are also always happy to know you can remain part of a convention and then always decide exactly where your money goes uh, in, in the convention. Like I said, we are big fans of our state and big fans of the International Mission Board and the work that's being done for the gospel throughout the nations. We just want to make sure everyone reads the BFM 2000, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, knows what we believe, knows what we're, where we stick, know the scripture that we use as supplementary scripture for our beliefs, and stand on the conviction that doctrinal statements matter because the Bible is the Word of God, and it is the foundation and authority of the church. So if we can believe that, if we can abide in that, we will be an immovable force because of Christ. And that's Amen. what's needed right now. Amen. Yeah, man. I appreciate you. Uh, yes. Your time today, Dill. Thanks. Uh, I, I always love getting on here with you and just talking about uh, different things that are happening uh, in church and culture and uh, how that relates to us as believers in our lives. Sure thing, man. And uh, it looks like Clay's going to have to, you know, create another, a new intro. Yeah. He was so proud of that last one. I think it took him five days to right. record a 10 second intro that he approved. <laughs> So he's probably going to we'll have see to what spend, he comes up with. Maybe yeah. two weeks later, we'll have a good clay intro for everybody, depending on how much time <laughs> he takes with it. But we are so glad you guys joined us today. Hopefully uh, some things about pragmatism in the direction of the SBC or just some of our basic thoughts have encouraged you. Hopefully you have found a local church and are serving there. But we love you guys. We appreciate all your support. Share, subscribe, uh, be a part of We Bear Witness. We hope to see you in the future. See you in a couple weeks. Cool, cool.